Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and we are broadcasting on ESPN 1600 this week, both this week and next week from 10 to noon instead of 9 to 11 on the fan. After next week, we should get back to our normal schedule. And uh, I hope you followed us over. If you're new to the show, follow us back over there when we go 9 to 11 on the fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Trigger Time Gun Club is Nate Freeman. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today, man? You know, I'm doing okay, except I just tried to breathe my coffee, and that's not good when you're on the air. It makes you choke. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, that'll happen to us once in a while, especially when we're trying to multitask us, guys, you know? Yeah. Hey, um, Nate, I know we want to talk about a product that you guys are just doing phenomenal with. But before we even get to that, why don't you describe Trigger Time Gun Club to people? Oh, great. Well, Trigger Time Gun Club, uh, we are a private shooting facility in Longmont, Colorado. We've been in business just over 12 years. Uh, We have indoor 25-yard ranges and indoor 100-yard ranges. Everything is temperature, air-controlled. All of our lanes run independently of each other. It's a very cool setup. Most civilians don't get access to this quality of range. Uh, Everything is membership-based, so... Our members get their own online access codes, so what that means is you can always get a lane whenever you want one. We will get busy, but you never have to wait in line for your lane, so it's an awesome setup. It really is, and you've got programmable, movable targets on the handgun range where Karen and I shoot all the time. And then on the rifle range, um, you've just got it set up for 100 yards indoors, which is just phenomenal, like you said. It's It's unheard of, really, isn't it? Absolutely. What's great is we're set up for anything from the the casual once in a while shooter um, to somebody who we have we have members that come and shoot every other day if they'd like to, and that's part of the beauty of our program. We're we're really set up to cater towards folks that want to practice and hone their skills on a regular basis. Now you also have a great retail, which is open to the public. By the way, you don't have a be a, have to be a member to shop at the retail, right? That's correct. Yep, we have a full, a full retail shop here. We sell uh, firearms, accessories, and uh, a, a bunch of other things there in between. Uh, one of the coolest things, a, a story I never get tired of telling, is we are in unincorporated Weld County, so our sales tax is 2.9. And that means even as a small store, we get to offer really great out-the-door pricing to our folks. That's that's uh, yeah, that's just phenomenal. And I, as you know, I'm a member. I practice there. Karen and I come in. I bought my handguns through you. Um, let's talk a little bit, before we get to this one new, this one that we haven't talked about this particular mm-hmm. product. How's your handgun supply right now? They had gotten kind of tough around the country. Has that gotten better? It has. So last year, was uh, it was thin for a lot of stores. It was very tough. We had to work almost 24-7. We were shopping like mad people every day, all day on our computers, just trying to snag any sort of product that we could. But now we're in a place where we're actually fully stocked. We've got shelves full of uh, full of firearms, which is awesome. And uh, it's nice to see that part filling up. Um, it's definitely better than it was last year. That's for sure. Now let's talk about a product that I haven't talked about on the air with you guys, but you do a phenomenal business, and that's specialty knives. You've really gotten into this niche, haven't you? We absolutely have. It's something that uh, a few of us dabbled in over the years. We've enjoyed it, even if it was just personally. And um, some years back, we actually became a direct Benchmade dealer. And uh, that was our first really cool product line as far as the knife industry goes. And we started selling those. And, you know, we would have to order more and order more. And it's just continued to grow over the years. And we've actually... 
uh, really focused on it in the last couple of years and turned it into a, a wonderful uh, addition to our store and our retail area. Now, I want to get you back on in a, maybe two, three weeks and talk about some of the real detailed features of some of these knives. But let's mm-hmm. kind of go through the brands you have. Take us through the brands of knives and kind of what they cover. Sure. Okay. So uh, our first one I mentioned was Benchmade. That's the longest product line we've uh, we've represented so far. They're a wonderful brand just because of the broad spectrum that they offer. So they offer anything from uh, catering towards law enforcement, military style uh, knives. Uh, they also have a really great selection if you're into outdoor, you know, any sort of bushcraft hunting knives. But also uh, if you're into hunting, uh, fishing. And everything in between. So I have a, a personal collection of Benchmade knives that really covers a whole broad range. So if I want a little thinner, smaller pocket knife that's easy to carry if I'm wearing slacks or pants, I can do that. I can carry knives comfortably with shorts. Or even I have a specific Benchmade I wear when I like to go jogging or you know doing any sort of exercise type stuff. So they're a very broad spectrum as far as their product line. Uh, one of the next brands that we're really excited about is uh, called Rick Hinderer. Hinderer knives, as they're known in the industry. Um, anybody who's a knife enthusiast or who has dabbled in knives has probably heard of other brands uh, that actually Rick Hinderer designs for. But we carry his own in-house knives that are all made in their factory. And they're, they're a great example of something that is technically a production knife, but we actually order them specifically for our store. And sometimes they take six months to get here, but they're handmade for our store. So it's a much higher quality level of production at that point. Um, Next brand would be Medford Knife and Tool. They're out of Phoenix, Arizona. Another brand that is a little bit more of a niche. They make heavy-use tools, really, really cool, you know, big. We use the term chunky sometimes to describe them, but they're huge pieces of titanium and really high-grade steel. They use aircraft industry tolerances in their manufacturing, so extremely high quality. Uh, And then the next brand would be Microtech. Those guys are very, very well known for their switchblades and out-the-front knives. That's what they're called. Those are legal to sell and own in Colorado. And... uh, we sell so many of those, it's unbelievable, but uh, that's a really fun brand. Uh, a lot of us growing up kids that never want to grow up end up buying one of those just because they're so darn cool. Um, yeah, that really, really are. You've shown me yours several times. And Microtech, a lot of these brands aren't easy to find, are they? They are not. You know, um, if you just go, you know, unfortunately we're in that world where you can find a lot of things online, but as far as a brick-and-mortar retail store where you have your friendly people that you go to on a regular basis, it's tough to find those in a in an actual retail environment. So we're very excited to be able to have them in our store on a regular basis. And it's a huge feather in our cap to to be able to have those brands and say we're a direct dealer. So it, it helps bring a lot of people to our store, but a lot of our folks don't realize that we have them. And as soon as they see them, oh my gosh, it's it's just great for everybody. And I think so. you have a tour brand knife too, is that right? We sure do. That was the last one I was going to mention. That's a newer product line for us, and they're actually newer for the industry, but another great company. It's, it's that good old American story of... Uh, somebody saw a problem, started working on it, they modified knives and realized, you know what, I'm not just going to modify knives, let's make our own brand. And the two brothers started Tour Knives, and they more focus on fixed blades, and they make really, really nice quality. They're very tough and strong, but they look nice too. So it's a nice addition to the other type of stuff that we have in the shop. We have a couple minutes left, and what I want to do now is talk about something that becomes just a thorn in almost everybody's side, Very few people, from their hunting knives to kitchen knives to defense knives to utility knives, aren't very good at getting an edge back on once the factory edge goes. Right. It's very, it's it's an art, and most people have such a struggle. You've got a brand of equipment that can help them, right? 
do. So as a, a fellow knife enthusiast, uh, and you know, I would say light collector, I have been into some form of honing my own tools for a long time. My first, one of my first memories of sharpening a tool myself was, well, I had to sharpen my own chainsaw blades because I was up in the hills cutting logs. And, you know, you just basically work with what you got, right? Well, over the years, I've tried different systems. Um, and some of them are very basic and rudimentary. Some of them are just a, literally a stone that you put some oil on and use a whetstone. But we use a company, and we also directly sell a company called Wicked Edge. Now, for myself, who's been a sharpening enthusiast for nearly 20 years, it is the best system I've ever used personally. Um, I've been using one at home for about two and a half years now. We first learned about them through a customer, actually, who offered to sharpen some of our personal knives, and their results just absolutely blew our minds. And so we reached out to this company. They're based out of Santa Fe, all U.S.-made, lifetime warranty. And we said, hey, you know what? We've heard of your stuff. We'd love to try it. So I, I went out on a limb and bought their big, giant setup. It's called the Gen 3 Pro. And uh, what I love telling people about the sharpening system is – I can take a $15 knife and make it like a razor edge, and I can take a $1,000 knife and make it like a razor edge. So it allows you a really uh, versatile setup, and, and it allows you to work on a ton of different knives. So one of my favorite jokes is a lot of my friends know I collect knives, but I say, yeah, but, man, my kitchen knife's 40 bucks. I just keep it like a razor with my sharpener. Well, and that's, I'll tell you what, as anyone who's listened to the show, they know I do a lot of cooking or followed me on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We put a lot of the cooking things we do and wine pairings on the air and, and on our Facebook, and Karen does a lot on Facebook. But to me, a sharp kitchen knife is my number one tool, my chef knife or a Satuko knife. Now, a lot of people don't realize, I have both those, that you can't just run those through the same place and get them sharp. And mm-hmm. and getting a kitchen knife sharp the way you see the guys on TV is extremely difficult. But you tell me with this system, you can do it, right? Absolutely. So where this system differs, because a lot of us have seen those various types of sharpeners. I will not say any names, but the, the kind that you might keep in your kitchen drawer with your knives or next to your other kitchen tools. They're uh, generally some sort of pull-through tool where you have a couple ceramic stones or something like that, or maybe a rotating stone. Well, they work sort of, but the challenge is they tend to really take away a lot of material every time and they will actually uh, become an abrasive because they're rubbing metal shavings against the edge that you're trying to hone. So they just defeat the purpose. Now, um, the Wicked Edge allows you to actually clamp the blade down, set an angle on both sides of the blade simultaneously, and you get a very repeatable set of motion while still doing it by hand. So it's a, a bit of the best of both worlds where it's not just a machine, but it's taking some of the human error out of it so you can be extremely repeatable. So when I when I sharpen for friends and family, which naturally happens out because they know what I do, you know, I bring it to Christmas every year. I show up early and sharpen all the knives so we can have sharp cooking knives for cooking for 50 people. You know, uh, it allows you to set it up to do that very easily. All right. We are out of time. Nate, if people want to find trigger time or more information, about the setup or come visit you? How do they do that? Absolutely. Well, we are located at 3575 Stagecoach Road in Longmont, Colorado. That's our address. Um, TriggerTimeGunClub.com is our website. Phone number 303-651-0816. And any knife questions or any other stuff, you can email info at TriggerTimeGunClub.com or Nate at TriggerTimeGunClub.com, and we'd love to hear from you. And uh, We'd be happy to meet y'all. All right, my friend. I will see you soon. I need to get in and do some practice. Thanks, Terry. It's great to talk to you, my friend. You be well. Nate Freeman yep. from the Trigger Time Gun Club. Great, great people. If you haven't, just stop by and kick the tires there. You'll be so impressed with the facility. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk camping going into the fall on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 
ESPN 1600. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They have locations up and down the Front Range. Speaking of Jack's, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the um, Jack's Outdoor Gear in Lafayette, I believe, is Thad Rathy. Good morning, Thad. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, we're going to talk outdoor camping and a lot of people, well, you know, with this weather, it's kind of appropriate to help people tell people how to stay warm and dry. But what we've seen happen is we saw a huge number of influx of people going into camping starting last year with COVID because you could do it, social distance, you were outdoors, you weren't exposed, and they were a lot of them weren't working. There was no sports to go to. You couldn't go out and eat. So we saw a lot of new campers or a lot of people borrowed some equipment this summer or last, tried a little tent camping, went out really loved it now they want to get into it so we got people coming into your store right now who just want to see if they can keep camping they don't have any gear but we also have people coming in saying hey i want to camp into the season i don't want to just camp the few summer months and what do i need to change and what do i need to do so just tell me how do you start out when somebody comes into the store what's the starting point well you know um uh, people that have been camping before and you know are pretty familiar with it, it's fairly easy just to be able to move them um, into what they need to do for, for cooler weather stuff. Um, the idea is still the same. The concept's still the same. Um, the days are a lot more pleasant, but the evenings and, and nights are going to be chillier. Um, so we just want to see what they have for equipment, if they have some. Um, if they don't have any, uh, try to figure out what they're going to do the most of, um, whether they're going to be primarily summer camping from here on out, but they're going to do a little bit of stuff in the shoulder seasons and in spring and fall. Um, and then try to direct them towards um, where they may, may need to buff up their uh, their gear a little bit for, for the cooler temperatures. Let, let's start with the tent. I come in, and either I don't have a tent or I have a tent that I've used for summer camping. Um, how do you decide what tent I need, and how do I pick out the right tent? Well, a lot of that's going to depend on how, uh, how far into the season you, you really want to go. If you're going to stick to to fall um, and still do a lot of summer camping, most of your three-season tents are, are going to do a great job the entire time you're going to want to camp. I mean, they're robust enough to be able to handle a light snow load. They have good waterproofing to them. So you're really not going to have to switch that up too much. Um, people that want to get really deep into the season and maybe want to push into winter might want to look at something that's maybe a little bit more of a robust tent, maybe a three-plus season, something that's a, a three-season, but it's a little bit more burly, has a little bit heavier materials and, and heavier poles, so it could handle a bigger snow load, um, or even a four-season four tent where you know it's going to be able to handle like lots of snow, heavy winds, and, and rougher conditions. Now, will a lot of that depend, too, on how I'm going to camp, whether I'm hiking in or camping right by the truck or car? Right, right, yeah. I mean, if you're in, you, you have one of your super, super ultralights um, that are technically a three season, but they're pretty light duty, that's going to be more of a concern, you know, if, if you get a decent amount of snow. If you have a, a more um, general, like super overbuilt, more car camping style tent, um, you're probably good a lot farther into the season with it because it's going to be a lot more robust just by design because they're not trying to shave weight. Now, is the next thing I need when I'm setting up, whether I'm taking a family or I'm taking just myself or a couple of us, um, do I need to look at uh, a cot or a pad? What do I do next? 
So, yeah, insulation um, from the ground is going to be real important as the season gets colder and colder. You can definitely get away with basically doing anything in the summer because it's not going to get cold enough where you're going to get super cold if you have a decent sleeping bag. When you start getting into those temperatures that may drop below freezing, you definitely want to make sure you're insulated from the ground. Uh, a cot will help get you up off the ground, but you still have that cold airspace underneath it. Um, so you ne- you're going to need to put some insulation between you and the cot. Uh, in that open airspace, or if you're on the ground, insulation between you and the ground itself. And you do that with a pad? Is that what you do? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's a various um, pads you can get just from a closed cell foam to your self-inflating air foam combos to your full inflatables. But the, the key is that, you know, it has some sort of um, substantial insulation in it. Um, they do have R ratings, just like you, the insulation in your house. Uh, and the warmer that R value, the warmer the pad is going to be. So you definitely want to move up in R value if you have a super lightweight or an uninsulated summer pad um, and move up to something that's going to insulate you a little bit better um, from the ground. And you're, you're going to sleep a lot more comfortable. Now, a lot of equipment and gear has been hard to find. The supply chains have been difficult. Does Jax have a pretty good supply of pads and what kind of price range are they in? Yeah, yeah. We're actually pretty well stocked up on pads. We over-ordered intentionally just to make sure we could get a lot of stuff in. Um, Just your real basic foam pads that don't impart a lot of comfort but will increase your warmth um, will start $20, $25. And they'll go all the way up to your insulated ultralight backpacking pads at at a couple hundred bucks. Uh, And then your super plush four-inch thick car camping pads that are super warm um, and those guys will run as much as 300. So you've got quite a range, and so you, but you need to sit down and kind of find out their use. Now, I've got the tent. I've got the pad. I used my sleeping bag in the summer. Am I going to be able I've got a pad. Can I use my same sleeping bag, or do I need to look at a different sleeping bag? really depends on, on what sort of rating you went to to begin with. If you bought a summer-only 30- or 40-degree sleeping bag, it's probably not going to quite get you into the, the deeper season. Um, if you bought a, a hardcore three-season bag that's like a 15- or 20-degree, you're probably going to be fine with, with a, a good pad. Um, and if you get really cold temperatures, like you know there's a weekend coming up that's going to be pretty chilly, you can definitely get away with putting a bag liner in it and bumping up that temperature a little bit. Um, if you have a strict summer bag and you feel like you really want to start camping further in towards winter, um, it may be wise to look at maybe like a zero degree or something that's a little more cold weather oriented. You know, here's a question I get a lot, and I'd like your answer. People always ask me, what do you wear in your sleeping bag? Now, I mean, do you wear clothes? Do you just let the bag keep you warm and keep your clothes separate? And I hear all kinds of answers. What do you guys suggest? Yeah, typically it's good to have some sort of layer on, um, especially something like wool um, in colder weather is really great because if you have the tops and bottoms on, that'll help wick away sweat. It'll keep you drier. It'll keep your temperature more regulated. Uh, And also a bag liner is really, really handy. Um, Just keeps your body off that nylon interior that a lot of bags have, and you have a less clammy feel, and it helps the bag breathe a little bit better, um, and you don't feel damp and cold. Yeah, and you really want to avoid cotton at all times when you're outdoors, really, don't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No no cotton. 
you know, if you're in the bag uh, and you're wearing cotton or cotton socks, a cotton shirt, it's going to absorb that moisture off your body and hold it up against you, and it's just going to make you cold. Yeah, I know. I do a lot of survival training and search and rescue, and we have a saying that cotton kills. You just the only place cotton is good is on the beach in Hawaii. But <laughs> absolutely, yeah, it's about the only place because it really does really put can put you in a bad spot. What about accessories? Like if I want to take something to cook with, I guess that kind of depends on if I'm hiking in or car camping too, doesn't it? For sure, for sure. I mean, if you're car camping and you have your Coleman two-burner stove that you're using all season, it's going to work great in cooler temperatures. Um, if you're backpacking, um, depending on how late in the season you're out, the Isopro stoves that are real common now, your smaller lightweight stuff, you know, they don't do as well in cold weather. You might have to, to keep the can warm or put it in your jacket for a little bit to, to make it burn a little bit better. Um, but even those stoves are being used on high-altitude, cold-weather expeditions nowadays. So you probably aren't going to have to change up what you're bringing too much. You might want to change up what you're bringing for food a little bit. Um, as the temperatures get colder and you need to stay warm at night, you know, things that are higher fat, you know, bring some sausage along, bring some nut mix, you know, things that, that have a high calorie content to keep you cooking. Yeah, keep that energy level up. Uh, one thing I will say, bring food you plan on eating for your trip. Don't pack food for survival, because if you get to the point where you're going to die from not eating, it's too late already. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We use the three-three-three rule, where you can go three minutes without oxygen, three hours, uh, uh, three hours with with exposure without dying, three days without water, and three weeks without food. Now, obviously, conditions and your own health and everything will influence those things. But people, you know, I always laugh at the people who take a power bar with when they go on a hike as an emergency food supply. Well, it tastes good, so they eat it a half an hour in. If they ever need it that they wouldn't have it anyway so right right yeah <laughs> any yeah, last people are notorious over food packers yeah it, it just adds a lot of weight if you're hiking so it, it really does any last minute tips for maybe the guys we got hunting seasons archery's right around the corner people are going to be heading in the hills they're going to want to camp right where they hunt any special uh things to mention for them yeah, I mean, it's just look at your, your gear setup. I mean, your hunters definitely stay out later in the season than most of your, your fair weather people. Um, so definitely looking at your, your sleeping bag setup um, and your pad setup. Um, if you're going to be hiking in, you know, we have some really great ultralight options in, in down bags, like from Western Mountaineering. Um, we have what we call your hunter bags, which are going to be your big, super warm canvas bags, so those guys setting up an elk camp and stuff like that. But, you know, if you've been out all summer camping, and, and now all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm going to be hunting late into the season, but I'm going to be out there staying for a few days. Um, it's a good time to sort of take stock of, of what you have and whether your, your stuff now is going to be adequate. Okay. And what's the one last question I'm going to let you go. What's the biggest mistake you see new campers make? Um, you know, like you mentioned, the cotton thing is always big. I, I see a lot of people out there um, that look pretty miserable because it's been a cold, wet night, um, and they have a lot of stuff that's damp, and it's not going to dry out, um, and, they're, and they're not happy about it. So I think, that, you know, like you said, the cotton thing, uh, that's a lot of things that, you know, people don't, don't realize can make your day real miserable. What about the size of the tent? 
Size of the tent, um, you know, that all depends on sort of what your needs are. Um, you know, if you're backpacking, obviously you want to keep everything as small as light as possible because carrying something heavy is never any fun. Um, if you're car camping, no reason not to give yourself some room. Um, you know, if you only have to carry it four feet from the car, doesn't matter how much it weighs, you can give yourself a nice big room, um, pad it out with um, some nice thick camp pads and, you know, just hang out. I think the best advice would be to stop by a Jack's Outdoor store and look at it and talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah, we have all kinds of good stuff, uh, decent selection of tents all the way from your ultralight stuff up to your bigger car camping stuff, a lot of good pads in stock, so yeah, we can really set you up. All right, Thad, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great talking to you. All right, that's Thad Rathy from the Lafayette uh, Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, Jack's been a major partner to the show. They've got locations up and down the Front Range. Anything you do outdoors, they're going to be able to take care of you, whether it's uh, camping like we talked about, hunting. By the way, arrows. Um, you heard Nate earlier talking about arrows and ammunition. They're getting in as much ammunition as they can, but they got a tremendous supply of broadheads in and arrows in. And two of their shops at least have a, a, uh, an archery pro shop where they can tune your bow and... They can also uh, have a shooting range where you can practice short range with it and kind of get dialed in. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us. He was at ICAST, which is the big fishing industry uh, exhibition that happens inside the industry. It's not open to the public. He'll talk about what the mood was there, what we see going forward, and a bunch of new products and maybe even a few fishing tips. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Normally, we're on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11, but because of a training camp special for the Broncos, we are over here on our sister station, 1600 ESPN. If you have never heard the show before, um, we'll be here next week, too, and then follow us back over to The Fan the week after that, and you can follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Let's go to the phones, and joining us, as he does every other week at, well, not this time, but the last, usually towards the end of the show, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. Welcome to ESPN. Well, you know, you're the only one, because you guest host the show sometimes, That's this is my first time in this ESPN studio. You're the only one that broadcast this show out of this studio until today. <laughs> well, there you go. See, it's got to be good. My first at something, but uh, I always enjoy getting a chance to guest host, and uh, you know, live radio is one of my first loves, so I always appreciate the opportunity. Well, with COVID hopefully winding down, we'll see what happens. I want to get away from it on some weekends and get you guys back in here. And You know, when you guys do guest host, you always bring a little different perspective and a few different guests to the show, so it always gives you know, a fresh look and a fresh feel to it. Speaking of that, you were just at, what is the largest get-together probably in the outdoor or the fishing industry? It's not open to the public. It's dealers. It's media. It's manufacturers. Uh, it's people that are in the industry themselves, kind of where we all get together and new products are introduced and people, stores are stocking up, seeing what they want to bring in. Um, you and I are, when we, I didn't go this year, but typically we're meeting with sponsors. We're talking to people. First of all, I want to get into new products, but first of all, what was the mood at the show? Well, uh, mood overall was incredible, actually. Surprisingly, um, or maybe even not surprisingly, but very positive over, overall. I mean, 
the entire fishing industry gets together as you suggested and it's been uh basically two years you know it's been july of 19 since uh since anybody got together uh, as far as the industry goes so a lot of the people even that work for the same companies uh as you, you know as with each other haven't even gotten together or haven't seen each other in person in two years since since uh since everything closed up so uh from that standpoint it was kind of like a family reunion as you know the fishing family or the fishing industry is a very small uh industry much smaller than people realized and i feel like it was almost like a big you know family gathering everybody was in a really good mood uh and i think that's key another side of that good mood was the fact that i don't think this will come to surprise to anybody uh listeners wise but uh the fishing industry basically sold itself out of tackle last year i mean there was very difficult times of trying to find fishing tackle at times because the demand was through the roof and the supply chain was interrupted with uh you know with the pandemic and uh and so you had those two things together fishing tackle got hard to come by but if you had tackle you could produce tackle you definitely sold it all last year and so from that standpoint everybody's company's numbers were really good so i think um as a general rule it was about as positive of an cash show as I've ever been to a uh, little bit lightly attended there was uh, approximately a third of the vendors that did not show up particularly all the Asian companies were not there uh, but also some very large uh, brands in the fishing business that were noticeably absent that didn't make it this year but the people that attended uh, they showed up in a good mood and ready to, uh, to put some new stuff out there and personally Dan Swanson a mutual friend of ours and I had a great time at the show. One question before we get to some of the new products that you got excited about, some of the technology changes, how did they feel? We all know the supply chain has been an issue. How did the manufacturers feel about the supply chain? Are they going to be able to catch up soon? Um, the, the answer I'd love to tell you is yes, but the reality of the situation is because of raw material shortages, uh, there's definitely going to be an ongoing uh, an ongoing backlog of stuff, uh, particularly PVC, polyvinyl chloride, seems to be an issue with the tackle industry. What people may not realize is it's soft plastics and fishing line, and a lot of the the stuff for, for that are that are you know made for the fishing industry are are definitely uh, using the same raw ingredients that uh, that a lot of other industries do. So there's going to be some continued backlog of fishing tackle without question. Uh, that's going to go across all manufacturers. That was the one kind of, say, gray cloud over the industry, if there was one, is the fact that, hey, we can't build fishing tackle fast enough to get it on the shelves. And so I talked to retailers uh, as well. Uh, retailers are feeling that pinch because they would love, uh, most of the retailers made a lot of money last year as well, and they would love to have more stuff to sell. But the reality of the situation is it's going to be a while, just like several other industries, before uh, before fishing gets completely caught up. So that's not in any way, shape, or form to induce panic buying by any stretch because they are slowly getting caught up. But uh, the reality is if you want fishing tackle, you should probably try to source it sooner than later. And that starts literally from boats and electronics and engines all the way down to your fishing line and hooks, lines, and sinkers. All right. What are some of the things that caught your eye down there? 
Well, the thing that jumped out at me right away, uh, more than other things, there was innovation in a variety of lures, surprisingly hybrid lures. That seems to be a, a thing that's going around right now is is, uh, is is lures that don't really fit into any one genre. So the obvious one, you might as well start with who won best of show. And at ICAST, they have a bunch of categories. I think off the top of my head, there's about 15 or 18 categories, maybe 20 categories uh, for various fishing tackle and then each category is won by a product and then from there a single product is voted on by the media uh, to be the one that will most likely go on and translate to sales in the long run and that this year was won by for the first time with a fishing lure as opposed to other things typically uh, best of show is not won by a lure it is won by some other product this year was won by a lure and that's that little Berkeley gilly it's a little hyper realistic looking bluegill that uh, that Berkeley came out with made out of power bait, but it's not really a swim bait and it's not really a jig trailer and it's not really, you know, a, a fluke style bait. It's kind of uh, a unique bait in that regard. It could be rigged on everything from a drop shot to a jig head and everywhere in between. And it swims beautifully. And, uh, and I, that was a little bit of a surprise that it won as a lure. But on the other hand, after I brought a few of them home. I was able to poach a few of them from the show and brought them home and they are surprisingly versatile little bait and uh and i think guys are going to be surprised at how effective they are because they're available all the way down to small sizes and then up to some bigger ones whether you're fishing for largemouth or or whatever and they're hyper realistic looking and they swim beautifully and i think that was an interesting bait and another one was called agent e it's a little it was really made as a goby uh, uh imitator it's a heavily bottom weighted so it's similar to a jig in some ways except for that it's heavily bottom weighted instead of head weighted and so the bait stays horizontal all the time it looks exactly and i mean exactly like a sculpin that you might find in the colorado river that's a bait that i think colorado listeners it might be marketed towards smallmouth bass guys in the in the upper midwest and places that they have gobies like the great lakes lake erie places like that uh i think that Colorado trout anglers are going to be seriously uh, missing out if they don't throw that thing in something like the Roaring Fork River or the Colorado River, both of which have heavy sculpin populations that form the vast majority of the diets of the trophy-sized trout that live in those rivers. So uh, the CPW biologist explained to me that, you know, that trout over 20 inches in the Colorado River are basically 100% sculpin eaters, and that little Agent E bait in the three-inch version should be fantastic for uh, for catching those trout so i think the hybrid lure thing caught my attention for sure uh definitely advancements in electronics from all the manufacturers trolling motors and electronics big time uh the imaging the you know the live imaging as the case might be several of the pro anglers we talked to uh at length we're talking about it's literally changing the way uh bass pros fish as they watch uh the, the whole thing unfold in real time on their graphs so i think that was a big one there as well and, um, you know, I think probably those are the ones that really caught my attention. As far as the traditional lures, um, you know, there was refinements to lots of stuff, but nothing major. And then there is one that's really close to my heart that I think uh, a lot of guys are going to be happy to see. And I've been asking for this forever. Uh, Maxent, Powerbait Maxent, which is kind of a hybrid so to speak, between gulp and power bait, uh, finally came out with a tube jig. So smallmouth 
smallmouth bass anglers uh, that have wanted a gulp tube forever, which I've wanted forever. We didn't quite get there, but we did get the Maxent one, and I think that'll be fantastic. And then also gulp itself, which is, you know, fans that, that know of me will know my addiction to gulp in general for particularly saltwater fish and, and bass. Uh, and trout, um, gulp is now available with sparkles in it. It has uh, a little bit of a translucence and then a whole bunch of shine to it. And that will be nice because gulp has been an opaque bait uh, with not a lot of color, a lot of shine to it. And now you can get some shine to it. So that's a big step in the right direction for gulp in terms of giving some different attraction qualities besides the super powerful scent and smell. Chad, we've got about three minutes left. And by the way, you know that I'm a huge fan of the Max Scent. I love it. It's so much easier to handle than Gulp. I, you and I both use a ton of Gulp, but I'm switching a lot to the Max Scent, so I'm with you on that one. Can't wait to get my hands on some. But real quick, let's switch it up for like the last three minutes or so, four minutes. If you were going fishing in this weather with the changes and coming up, any, any place you want to send people, any tips? Well, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going reservoir fishing right now. The reason being we're in that summertime when when the reservoirs are going to fish well, um, the river situations, at least up in my end of the state, uh, we're having so much rain, so much fire damage coming down, things like that, uh, that, that, you know, even flash flooding the last two days. I'm thinking realistically I'm going to the reservoir. Now, the beauty of the reservoirs is that they are dropping it this time of year, and a lot of anglers don't like that. But the beauty of it is it positions fish predictably offshore and then when you combine that with unstable weather like we have right now uh those offshore fish are more reliable so if you're a bank guy if you're if you're if you're a bass fisherman or a log guy and you're trying to run banks this probably isn't ideal advice for you but for for me i'm for sure fishing open water i'm for sure fishing offshore structure right now whether i'm bass fishing walleye fishing or even trout in these reservoirs i'm getting away from the banks because the water's dropping the fish want to be out in the deeper water in the first place and they're getting unstable weather which which means the fish out in the deep water don't don't care as much they don't they're not as directly affected by it so i'm gonna hit one of the reservoirs around here i've been hitting horse tooth a bunch lately um easy peasy not a big problem at all but you've got to use your graph so it's all about locating fish and i'm seeing a lot of fish suspended over deep water so if you're a troller listen up this would be an excellent time to get uh, get out there and do some depth control and uh and start fishing maybe in that 15 to 25 foot range of the water column over say 60 to 100 feet deep water so it's a unique pattern but it's reliable and uh and i think guys will do well with it no i i couldn't agree more and how, how do you think we're going to get enough cool weather here to start seeing the the water temperatures come down or are we uh this is too short lived do you think I think it's too short lived. I think we'll get some some cool water that'll show up in the back of some of the bays and you know in places like Boyd Lake and some of the shallow water. Uh, we'll get a, a temporary cooling, but no, I don't think so. Not yet. We've still got a lot of heat coming. It's not even quite August yet. So I think we're probably going to be in our in our summer bite, our summer rotation of fish for a while yet would be my best guess. And uh, I, I for sure will be focusing on summertime patterns uh, until the fish show me otherwise. I can tell you from living right here, I'm looking literally overlooking a creek that runs into horse tooth. Yeah, we had flash flooding yesterday, but we did not get any significant, there's not significant water running in the back of the creek at this point. So it's muddy, but that's about it. And I will also tell people, watch out for snakes. There is a bump of snakes out around the reservoirs right now and this cold weather will bring them out and uh i've been dealing with rattlesnakes for several days in a row here around my house 
Yeah, I, you know, you're you live in just a. What'd you say? You and I talked to you a couple of days ago. You had you had deer, rattlesnakes, and uh, something else right in your yard while you were having coffee. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. We've had mink. Uh, we had a family of four mink come swimming across the the bay the other day. Uh, it's you know it's that time of year where all the babies are out and about. The rattlesnakes are out and about. It's just a uh, you. And I don't mean to scare people, but you need to watch where you're walking. And then also people that have been bringing dogs and letting their dogs off leash here. I'm a dog lover, but you need to retrain restrain your dog because there's fawns laying in the grass all around the lake. If you move around the lake and you look close, you'll see the mature deer, but you won't see the fawn your dog will and we've had issues with that uh, as well so keep your dog close or keep them away from the rattlesnakes and the fawns but the fishing's good it's definitely worth getting out checking it out and uh and it's warmer than the weather might make it seem like out there right now and the level at horse tooth is surprisingly high for this time of the year yet shockingly high yes sir it is uh it is very high it's dropping like mad right now but it's still way higher than normal and uh that's a little bit of a surprise i spent some time walking the banks with flashlights looking for babies there's big numbers of baby fish in shallow water all kinds perch little walleyes little bass uh big big huge crop of tadpoles this year up here so i think there's plenty of bait in the system and with the water being high like it is that bait still has places to hide so a, a high water year like this um, it should be really good for horse tooth going forward because we'll get a really good year crop when the water drops out of the off the banks earlier in the year. We don't have as good of a year crop of fish. So uh, that'll be a big deal as well. All right. My friend, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. And as we've been talking, you and I have to spend some time on the water together. Well, we've got to quit talking about it and do it, Terry. So um, any day, you let me know. I bet your schedule's busier than mine. All right. We'll do. We'll make it happen, Chad. That sounds like a plan. All right, Chad. Thanks for joining. Oh, and if people want to get a hold of you, fishfulthinker.com, fishfulthinker on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, fi- yes, sir, or at fishfulthinker on YouTube, uh, Facebook, or Instagram. We'd appreciate that very much. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Chad LaChance, always an incredible resource for us on the show. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. We're going to wrap things up here on this edition of uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you've never heard the show before, we've only been on for 24 years, so I can understand how you might have missed it. Seriously, though, we normally air on the fan from about... Uh, from 9 to 11 every Saturday, there's a training camp uh, update special going on. So this Saturday and next Saturday, we are airing at 10 to noon on ESPN 1600. So you'll catch us next week right back here back here from 10 to noon. And then we will uh, be back on our normal from 9 to 11 on the fan after that. Occasionally, we get bumped around for a sporting, but we've been on. We're on almost all the time. Very seldom miss a week. We try to get you the most up-to-date outdoor information, whether it's hunting, Fishing, camping, shooting, uh, hiking, outdoor activities, parks and wildlife are part of the show. We bring you as much information as we could. So if you're new to the show, follow it and follow us on Facebook. You'll know what's coming up. We'll give you links to podcasts, links to videos, updated reports. Our Facebook is Terry Wisham Outdoors on Facebook. And on that Facebook page, you'll say links to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, which carries uh, a ton of TV shows. We did 22 seasons on television, and we've gone back and revisited those. And about half of those were filmed right in your backyard. 
backyard here. Some of them go from the Arctic Circle to the equator, but a lot of them are filmed right here in Colorado, and they're techniques and spots that you can go to tomorrow and use. So that's uh, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, but it all funnels through Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the rivers right now. Uh, I drove up the Pooter a couple days ago, uh, and then yesterday the flash flooding came in. And so you got to be extremely careful right now. If I was going in anywhere near any of these burn scars, whether I was just camping, trying to fish, hiking, or even just driving some of these roads, I would really check the weather forecast. Highways are opening and closing. Mudslides are trapping cars. We're susceptible to flash flooding. What happens is those burn scars get just like concrete. They get so charred, and there's no vegetation to hold the water. So when the water starts rushing down those burn scars, it gets so much force and so much water, eventually it starts picking up debris, and you're going to have problems with that. So be really, really careful if you get out there. Um, the poo- I, would, I would try to may take my activity somewhere else till the weather stabilizes. We know things are better. Um, as I said, we're going to be back again here. Uh, uh, here next week on 1600 but we podcast everything if you just caught parts of the show go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors we'll put links to the podcast the podcasts can also be found on uh, 1043thefan.com and uh, we're going to just try to keep you out of trouble but have you have a great time in the outdoors and hopefully, if you're new, you'll follow us and continue to follow us. If you're our regulars, hopefully you found us over here. I want to say uh, thanks to Dustin for filling in as our board op. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and sports on 1600 ESPN.